This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. is a privilege to continue with our series that Howard kicked off last week in the way of Jesus. This morning we are looking at the practice of community. And uh, community is something we've spoken about a lot. We keep banging that drum uh, because Jesus does. And uh, and we want to learn more about it and allow that to shape the way that we do life. So Father, thank you that we can uh, look at scripture, look at truth, allow it to inform the way that we do everyday living together as your people, our mission with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, can I see with a show of hands, who is part of a Skittles League? Is there anyone here part of a Skittles League? No. No. Okay, Bridge Club. No Bridge Club. Uh, Chess Club? Uh, Darts Club? Bowls? Toddlers group? There we go. Okay. Are there any other social clubs on the go? Book club. Book club. Any book club goers? One. Two. Okay. Point proven. According to Robert Putnam, in his book Bowling Alone, in the West, church attendance is down 50% since the Second World War. But it's not only church attendance... It's, in fact, all social activities that require commitment. Commitment levels are down, seemingly, so that we can keep our options open. The hallmark of expressive individualism. Finding ultimate joy in our right to choose. That's what we're pursuing as an expressive individualistic culture. The right to choose at any time. But studies seem to indicate that with all the time in the world and all the options in the world, we are stuck in options paralysis or uh, analysis paralysis, if you will. With so many options to choose from, most people end up choosing not to choose. They stay at home, uh, binge watch Netflix, or spend time on social media rather than engaging in any committed communal activities. So choice is such a big thing that the word of 2019, does anyone know what the uh, word of the year for 2019 was? They. Word of the year for 2019 was the singular pronoun they, which refers to a person who identifies as non-binary. In other words, they don't identify as male or female, but as they. Even the sex you are born with, which you'd think is one of the immovable things, has become a choice in our world today. Studies show that our individualized culture, that has as a very noble goal the celebration of the individual by giving multiple choice, when over-realized, as it is in life at the moment, 
uh, instead of bringing joy and peace and life, brings choice paralysis and for many then a self-imposed solitude and loneliness. The reality is then that even if you don't choose to stay at home and be solitary and uh, be on your own, other people's solitude forces you into solitude and eventually loneliness. And the cycle continues and continues. I think like me, you probably feel like choice is a good thing and that if you use it well, it's beneficial. But the challenge for us is that we genuinely don't know what we don't know. Uh, When we talk about culture, you don't see what you don't see about your own own culture. And we've got a a blind, uh, a a massive blind spot that is true for us individually and seemingly true for us culturally. Now, I owned a motorcycle for 10 years, so miss it. Um, But you quickly learn that your blind spot and other people's blind spots really, really uh, needs to be watched. Um, your life depends on it. I think they said something like a motorcyclist needs to be 37 times more vigilant than the average driver in order to avoid accidents uh, at the same rate as, motor- as vehicles. So you become super aware of blind spots. But I want to flag up at this point that um, equally, your life could quite literally and the life of your friends and family could quite literally depend on us looking into this blind spot and actively choosing to do something about it. Um, If you're married, have you ever chosen to open Facebook before kissing your spouse good morning or good night? Beware. So you might not think this relates to me. If that's you, beware. We're swimming in the culture. If you've ever chosen to stay at home and watch TV or play computer games when everyone else goes out, beware. It's not to say any of those things are bad. Just beware of the culture. If you have no one to confide in, beware. Our culture is perfectly designed under the guise of giving options and happiness to suck us into solitude, self-absorption, and eventually loneliness. Two years ago, our PM, Theresa May, noticed this blind spot in our culture and set in place for the first time in history a minister for loneliness. You know that? Yeah? Apparently 15% of all Britons feel lonely most or all of the time. In a room like this, 15%, uh, 15 people, look around, 15 people around you are either lonely all of the time or most of the time. Across the pond in the United States, that is at 40%. 40% of 370 million people are lonely. That's double the population of this United Kingdom that is permanently lonely in the United States. The PM said, and I quote, so Joe Cox was absolutely right in highlighting the critical importance of this growing social injustice which sits alongside childhood obesity and mental well-being as one of the greatest public health challenges of our time. A study found that 
the medical effects of loneliness is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness can lead to high blood pressure, heart disease, chronic, chronic inflammation, even dementia. And studies would suggest that loneliness affects your lifespan even more than obesity does. What I find striking from Mrs. May is the phrase that loneliness is a growing injustice. She suggests that there is something about the scourge of loneliness in our culture that breaks the heart of God and should break the heart of His people. In the same way, in fact, that human trafficking uh, incenses us and outrages us and the heart of God, and slavery and poverty and hunger and innocent people being caught up in conflict zones. Some hundreds of years earlier, the Isaiah the prophet prophesied about the ministry of Jesus that of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. As with all injustices, we see that God looks to solve them. We expect to see in the life of the true minister of loneliness, Jesus, a model for writing the injustice of loneliness, a model for living rich, community-based lives, flourishing in a, in a network of relationships, all within the wider culture which is still attempting to isolate individuals. So nothing's changed the cultures might have shifted a little bit, but the bottom line remains the same. The culture attempts to isolate and bring division. So let's investigate a few scriptures. We're going to go boom, boom, boom through them um, that highlight this individualized culture that Jesus found himself in and how his response was to build a true community that is the answer to the scourge of loneliness as well as the foundation for the advance of his kingdom. Start in Matthew 4, a couple of verses there, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they dropped what they were doing and followed him. Okay, it's our first little story. Becoming a fisher of men is not... Some bad pun, you know, it's not Jesus is trying to make a bit of a joke here. Uh, Fishers of men is a phrase that was really meaningful in the time. It meant, you come follow me, and I will teach you to do all the things that I do. I will um, teach you how to be a good orator, how to speak eloquently in a way that wins the hearts and minds of people and is able to help them get the best out of life. That's what it meant to be a fisher of men. So Jesus, in calling them into community, is calling them to follow him and become like him. And going on from there, in verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So immediately, we can see that to follow Jesus is to live in community. I mean, these two, he calls brothers. 
So it's not individuals even. Here he's calling two sets of brothers in. So the community is doubling up really quickly. So he calls them to live in community, both with him and with others. But we'll see in our next story that not everybody makes it. We'll see that the bar to join Jesus' community is very high, and the costs are great. Read in verse 18 of Matthew 8. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came up and said to him, so a scribe, one of the, the great professions of the time, very honored, he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He says to Jesus what Jesus has been calling the other guys to do, come follow me. He says, I will follow you. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is a really bad salesman. He doesn't glam up the implications of following him and being part of his community. He says to the guy, but brother, this is going to be hard. This is going to cost you. He's brutally honest. Verse 21, another one of the disciples said, Lord, let me go and bury, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Again, bury their own dead is a figure of speech, which means, let me go and set my family affairs in order. Let me go home. Um, if my father dies, I'll bury him. Let me get the inheritance. Let me uh, look after my brothers and sisters. Get the family business running well. And when that is done, I will come and follow you. We don't know if either of these two guys end up following Jesus. And I think Matthew does that purposefully because he allows us to see ourselves, read ourselves into the story, to ask ourselves the question, where are we on the spectrum of the response to the call, come and follow me? Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Matthew's house that is, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So we see Jesus eating in the house of Matthew, and the friends of Matthew are like Matthew, sinners and tax collectors. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Of course, isn't that how it works? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's interesting how this call to follow Jesus is an act of mercy for the sick and the sinner. And we, we see the calling of the seemingly good, wholesome boys like Peter and Andrew and James and John, and then the shock horror sinner guy, Matthew, the tax collector, and his friends. It seems that this little collection is less about gifting and Knowledge of the Torah, 
and their ability to recite it and their good lifestyle and more about their commitment and their attitude towards Jesus and following him. Matthew 10, we look at the list of the 12 disciples, verse 1 to 4. And he called to him, uh, to him his 12 disciples and gave them... He he didn't just give Peter or James or John. He gave them as a community authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles, which is obviously the core group of a much larger community, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And this mishmash gaggle of disciples is a very odd group indeed. Let's just briefly look at two of these combinations of people and see that why this is the case. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the Zealot. So... At this time in history, Rome is the powerhouse in the Middle East. They were cruel and they were ruthless. They did bring roads and education and sanitation. But um, what else have the Romans ever given us? The Zealots were a particularly passionate people who fought the Romans tooth and claw, spear and sword, trying to kill, murder, stop them from invading and, 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 in fact, wanted to push them out of the land of Israel so they could be an independent nation. I think it's fair to say that Simon the Zealot and all of his type hated all things Rome. Matthew was a tax collector, a Jew who quite literally exploited his own people on behalf of his Roman employers. He represented all things Rome. Can you imagine breakfast conversation around these two? Good morning, murderer. Good morning, traitor. This would be as if if I was going to gather together a group of 12 really significant up-and-coming leaders in the nation uh, to spend three years with them so that I could... um, disciple them to change the world, and I end up calling uh, Sajid Javid and Tommy Robinson, (laughs) and say, hey guys, let's change the world together. Again, you can imagine the breakfast conversation between those two gentlemen, and then multiply that many, many times over and you kind of get into the ballpark of the dynamics that was going on just between these two guys, and there were a couple of others within the community. So this was daily life with Jesus. Matthew 20, let's read on. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him. (laughs) So she's really milking this, okay? They get their mother to come and speak to Jesus. And she asked him for something, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. Jesus answered, Do you uh, you do not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink 
And all of a sudden, they pipe up. Mommy's done her bit. Now they pipe up. Yes, we are. We are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. Because both of those guys were martyred for following Jesus. They were killed. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared for my Father. It's wonderful how, even in that, just the intimacy of the community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And when the ten heard it, so obviously this was outside earshot of the other guys. When they heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Indignant is Bible for really cross. (laughs) And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Outside of this community, guys, you know that it's all about power and all about might and all about domination. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Everyone's out to get their own. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would first, be, who would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying that within the community of his followers, self-sacrifice for the sake of others will be central and must come first. We know what Jesus meant when he says he'll give his life as a ransom for many because he chooses, he dies willingly on a Roman cross in order to serve his community both then and into every generation that's followed that we're part of. And he leaves the perfect community of heaven to come and model something of that perfection amongst these imperfect people that we might have perfect communion with him and with one another. And we see that Jesus' idea is that this community is the place where his disciples learn to become like him, learn to do as he does, learn to be self-sacrificial servants and slaves. Man, those words have got a horror connection in our head. It is that. (laughs) That's what we are called to be to one another. So as we zoom out a little, I'd like to make three quick observations about community and then encourage three commitments that will help us live against this tide, this rising tide of individualism that is causing so much pain and loneliness and help us to practice, uh, follow the practice of community. Firstly, it just speaks for itself. Jesus was in community. I know we don't need to say it, but I am. Jesus was in community. He's not a guru up on a mountaintop at a distance. He's not a wise sage, long beard, big stick by himself. No, no. He's not at home watching God TV and that's his church. As wonderful as God TV is at times. He lived in community and a call to follow Jesus was simultaneously a call to live in community. Second point. Jesus' community was messy. There were people from every maturity level 
in his community. Think about the communities that you're part of. Are we, try to, are we trying to be homogenous? Try and keep it as plain and simple and the same as possible? Jesus had people from every maturity level, people from every socioeconomic background, people from every political persuasion, to put it mildly. A call to follow Jesus is a call to live in community with people who are radically different to yourself. Third observation, Jesus' community was different. The disciples of Jesus learned to walk in uh, not in the way of the culture, but in the way of Jesus. As they followed Jesus, these men watched and learned that a call to follow Jesus is a call to sacrificial servanthood and slavery. On the back of our, our stories uh, that we've read, let's look at a couple of commitments and and this is where we're going to, to end as well. Commitment number one. It's a commitment to community. Online community is an oxymoron. Please cut down on unsocial media as much as you possibly can. I know some of us need it for work and that sort of thing. But cut down where you can and commit yourself to a genuine community where you can be vulnerable, where people can know you, warts and all, and love you despite yourself. If Matthew and Simon could learn to get along, by the grace of God, so can we. If you are not in a God-first community, I would encourage you right now to be a to sign up for one of those. God-first communities are our midweek communities that meet to help each other live, or first of all, become more like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did, to follow Him lovingly and obediently. There are a couple of God-first communities that you can go online right now. I won't be upset. www godfirst.org.uk and please go and sign up for one of those groups. If everyone in this room signed up, I probably wouldn't know what to do with everybody, but I would love it. Because we cannot look after you if you are not in a God-first community. You will not be challenged. You will not have the support. You will not have the love and the grace that God wants to pour out towards you if you are not in a God-first community. If you would like to move at the beginning of 2020, and there are many good reasons to move as well, uh, please sign up for a different group or come and chat to me, however you'd like to do it. This is the moment to do so. Don't get stuck on the back end of the curve. Don't get stuck isolated Let's get in. Let's get in each other's lives. Open our lives up to one another. If you've been here for three years or you've been here for one week, but you consider that God first could be home for you, please go on and sign up. Get connected to each other and to Jesus through this process. If you are not in what we call a three, which is our 
all male or all female groups, generally two, three, or four people, but we call it three, um, where we really dig deeper. We hold each other accountable to following Jesus. We push each other to, to pursue our gifts and the grace that God's given us, and we, and we hold each other to high standard, a high bar of living godly lives. I can't put you in a three. I might be able to point you in the direction of somebody else who's not in a three because these are wonderfully life-giving, organic friendships. So we want them to happen naturally. So you can't force those things, but the thing you can do is come and chat to Howard, myself, any of the elders, or chat to somebody that looks nice at coffee and say, are you in a three? How about it? Let's just, let's just meet and read the Bible together. Um, text each other. Uh, maybe the reading plan is, for many of us, a real central feature of our threes. We read the Bible survey uh, at the moment, and it's a really great tool to help us uh, dig into the Scripture, apply it to our lives, and help each other grow to be more like Jesus. If the poison of our age is commitment phobia, the antidote is Commitment. You might even feel your heart going like this when we say the word commitment. God first is known in town as a high bar church that gets in people's faces. <laughs> now, I really, there's a part of me that really doesn't like that. If we didn't have that reputation, I, su- I suspect we'd grow a lot quicker and there'd be a lot more people. And, but I love that because Jesus' community was a high bar community. And we're longing to imitate Jesus. We want to help you and we want to, I want you to help me as disciples follow Jesus with the same high bar. To practice the way of Jesus is to practice commitment to your communities. Whether that's in Sundays, come on, let's commit to Sundays together. Is that our G1Cs, our our communities? Is that our threes? Is that coffees together when you make a coffee date? Come on, get there, commit to each other. Get some regular dates in the diary with guys. Beers, curry night like we've got coming up. Come on, we commit to these things. We're a community together. Breakfasts. God's grace is sufficient to help break the patterns of commitment phobia in our lives and to empower us to commit to commitment, to community. It's the grace of God that's needed. We can't drum this up. But we open ourselves up to say, God, let your grace flow to help me do this. Second point, commit to openness in community. All right, so we commit is the first thing. Let's be people committed to community. Secondly, commit to openness in community. Messy community is good, healthy community most of the time. If you could follow me around for 24 hours on a GoPro, you'd quickly see that I am no saint. Okay? In front of most of you, I'm on best behavior. Uh, I uh, dress nicely. I'm in business mode. I'm good-natured, extrovert, full of energy, and loads of smiles. You get to see the best of me. The... People that I love and trust the most, my wife and my kids, get to see the best of me, but they also get 
to see the worst of me. In actual fact, the people I love most, I can trust most with my real self. The introverted, quiet, sometimes bad-tempered, short, quippy, grouchy me. My friends and the guys in my three will be able to tell you some of that as well. The other day, I I was just the greatest dad and husband. I said, guys, instead of uh, watching TV, we're going to whip out a board game and we're going to eat pizza or something. It was was nice. So I just thought, man, I am a legend. (laughs) So we're playing this board game. It's called Settlers of Catan. And we, um, you know, it's a, it's a board game. You've got to build a bit of an empire, and towns can become cities, and you have to build roads to connect towns to each other. And the winner generally is the one with the greatest network of cities. Out of the corner of my eye, my darling wife, Lorette, has placed a city instead of a town. So a city sprung out of nowhere instead of evolving naturally from a town. And because cities mean winning, I was incensed. She wanted a shot to the game. Boy, I let her have it. I, I, I let her have it with both barrels. That evening, the next day, it was like, we're going to bed at night, cheetah. You would not have recognized me. Or maybe you would. I, I don't But the deeper we go in relationship, the more the warts are revealed. The real us yeah. is revealed. The more sin is revealed, the more our deeper desires of the heart are revealed. But also, the deeper the work of God's grace yes. and transformation and freedom in our lives. And I, th- I think... This is why at at an intuitive level, people who choose to not engage in community do that. Because in our individualized culture, where it's all about performance, it is unthinkable to show people the real you. But in a community where you are loved and Jesus' performance has already achieved everything on our behalf... Openness allows the grace of God to flow over our warts and over our spots and over our sin. And the experience is exhilarating and liberating. And you'll be surprised at how people respond when you tell them your deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets. Most of the time it's, oh wow, I thought I was the only one. Let's pray together about this. Commitment number three. Commit to be a servant. Within the safety of a committed, open, and vulnerable community, we apply the gospel to ourselves and each other each day. We're shaped and we're discipled and we're held accountable for the decisions that we make. And on a daily basis, we spur one another on to a steady, maturing faith as we practice the 57 one-anothers in Scripture. Go and look them up. It's great. We are a means of grace to each other. And as we use our spiritual gifts to bless one another, build one another up, and pray for one another, wonderful things happen.
Critically, we learn that as Christ served us in love whilst we were still far off, whilst our lives were messy and stinky and dirty, we were full of sin, and it was obvious to everybody, Christ loved us. And we learn in the same way to use our Christian community to love those who are not yet following Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, The Christian cannot simply take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. In the end, end, all his disciples abandoned him. On the cross he was alone, surrounded by criminals and jeering crowds. He had come for the express purpose of bringing peace to the enemies of God. So Christians too belong not in the seclusion of the cloistered life, but in the midst of their enemies. There they find their mission and their work. John 20, 21 says, Peace be with you. Jesus' words. He says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. God's peace is indeed with us as his servants. And a whole new world opens up for us when we get that we are servants and slaves, not entitled. People who get that are not prideful about their performance. They are not envious of other people's performance. They have the desire to please Jesus above all else. They are bold in taking risks for God and not afraid of failure. They know that the reward for their labors is infinitely wonderful in Christ. They are lifelong learners who continually strive for mature Christ-likeness in their faith and their life. They're not afraid to ask each other the hard questions, look each other in the eye. They can repent and say sorry when they mess up, freely, easily. And they can, with thankfulness, receive fresh grace every day. You see, being a servant and a slave is wonderful, but it is really hard work. You would have realized that. It's hard and it costs, which is why Christian community is so foundational to Christian life. Because without the commitment to each other and to Christ, and without openness and vulnerability to each other and to Christ, we cannot live the Christian life. It's so hard and the challenges are so big that God calls, uh, that God in his central point of Christian worship encourages us to receive his grace every day. And the central point of Christian worship is not the stage. I think if you're in the worship band, you're like, oh, I wish I was the central point of Christian worship. If you're the preacher, you're like, no, it's the pulpit. That's the central point of Christian worship, surely. If you're, a, if you're a, one of the, the kids' group teachers, you'll think, no, it's where the kids are. That's, that's the future. That's the central point. No, the central point of Christian worship is a simple table. The table which requires us as Christ followers to search our hearts and consider Christ. We're required to be vulnerable and open before Christ. To repent of our sin 
to say sorry, God, to lay down our pride and our shame. And then to eat the bread and drink the juice in joyful recommitment to the servant Christ who's loved us so much and to be his people in community. In a stroke of genius that only Christ himself could have foreseen, committing our lives in open servanthood within community, the deepest longings of our heart are fulfilled. We get to know daily and, and practically through one another's love and friendship, the forgiveness of sin and the union with Christ. And our loneliness is eclipsed with really being known and loved. And we get to know the joy and the fulfillment of helping others find their way in turn to God and complete joy and fulfillment in Christ and His community. Father, we are so grateful for You, Your Son, and the Spirit that You send, the ultimate community that Jesus came and modeled to us. The beauty of it, the richness of it, the life that comes through it. God, it's not easy, but thank You that it's not easy. Thank You that because it's not easy, we need each other, and we need your power flowing through one another to live this life. God, we, we're going to respond, and we're going to do it through eating community together. Help us as we do that, Father, that we might refresh our commitment to you, to one another, to community, that we might commit ourselves to being servant-hearted and that we might commit ourselves to really being open in everything that we do for your glory and the good of one another and your mission, we pray. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.